Geeks Talk Movies. I'm Tom Evans. And I'm Tom Wardley. Geeks Talk Kong Skull Island. Well, we've been away a while, but we're back. And it's this... Been it's been quite a while, actually. It's been quite a while. But this is something I'm... I'm I was very excited about. The first trailer I saw for this... Um, did I didn't realize it was set in uh, sort of Nam era, so it was a nice surprise. Um, and uh, interesting cast: uh, Tom Hiddleston, Samuel Jackson, Brie Larson, John Goodman, uh, Corey Hawkins of Twenty Four. Very exciting. Um, all right, kick off. What, what did you do? What did you make of Kong Skull Island? Um, well, it's it's eight apocalypse now. <laughs> <laughs> very nice it's um did you did you st- i i really I, I liked it it's it's a cool movie um i it's you know i don't think it's gonna go down in in the sort of hall of fame of of fantastic films but i really enjoyed myself for the like two hours or so that i was that i was watching it um i think stylistically it's really cool um definite influences from Apocalypse Now um, but it wears those on its sleeve I think it's very obvious about them I mean the, the IMAX poster was you know a, a very clear nod to Apocalypse Now um, great cast um, good to see John Goodman in a in a major film again um, you know you don't see him so much anymore and I really like him I think he's great mm-hmm. Um you got Samuel Jackson playing Samuel Jackson. Um, he's very good at that. He's very good at that. Mm. Um, Tom Hidd- Tom Hiddleston, who I think was just born to play that sort of British adventurer type role. Um, Brie Larson working her way out of the Indies. Uh, uh, John C. Riley, who I know you're not a fan of. Oh god! Um, no. But I like John C. Riley, and he is exactly what you expect from John C. Riley in this film. Um, Corey Hawkins, who I didn't know was going to be in it, and I'm really enjoying this new series of 24, so it was a nice surprise to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a cool movie. Um, didn't mess about showing you the monkey. Um, as it was a monkey, as it were. There you go. It was like first time they meet the monkey. You see him in all his glory. Um, and then lots of really inventive monsters. Um, almost like sort of. Um, Pokemon inspired monsters I guess in a lot of ways um, yeah I thought it was cool really good fun okay so I, I enjoyed it too um, it, it, it was a very entertaining film but um, I don't know I, 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 I don't rate it as high as you do let's start with some of the casting then because I yeah I don't like John C. Riley. Uh, I didn't I, I just think he when he pops up on screen it's the it can turn the subject of a film from one tone to another, and I felt like it just went mm. too too comedy then for me. But there you go. And I really thought that Tom Hiddleston stood out like a sore thumb. His delivery is too crisp, <laughs> too crisp. Everything is too pronounced. I don't know. You, you had that scene at the beginning where you, it sets him up as this really hard nut. And he's like, oh yeah, he's really physical, yeah. You know? And then, you know. He got on with everybody very well and very quite polite, and I thought I, I, I didn't, I didn't really get that. I think. Well, I mean, like I say, I think it's that he was playing that sort of classic, classic sort of nineteen twenty style British adventurer, wasn't he? Who's like 
a sort of rough and tumble gentleman. It just it, that, that sort of Phileas Fogg type character, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, but that opening scene was more like I, I am a thug, and you should all be very weary. Yeah, of Yeah, but I mean, you look at someone like um, uh, like Serrano Fines. Mm. You know, he's very polite, very eloquent, very gentlemanly. But you know, you you wouldn't fuck with him, would you? Mm. Uh, I would. I would fuck with Tom Hiddleston. I'm not that scared of him. Mm. Well, I wouldn't. But uh, you know. In the principle of this, I I I just didn't I didn't think he fitted into it very well. And not the next Bond for you, then? Definitely not the next Bond, not the next Bond. Well, funny enough, there was a quote this week that said he's too smug for Bond, and I thought, yeah, he is too, a bit smug. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think. I mean, Roger Moore's pretty smug. Daniel Craig's pretty smug. Yeah. Okay. If Tom Hiddleston was around in the nineties, fine. But there was well, a different tone of Bond now. I just don't think. To, he's... I know we're going off topic slightly, but this is. This is the issue, is that everybody wants another Daniel Craig. But no two Bonds have ever that have followed one another have ever been similar. All the Bonds that are similar, like Connery and uh, um, Dalton are similar, but they're 20 years apart. Mm. No, no, no similar Bond ever. What's the point? If you just, if you, It's like Doctor Who. You, you use the recasting as a chance to softly reboot the franchise and what's the point if you're just going to cast the same same type of bond again yeah anyway but yeah it it just doesn't work for me i don't know i i just felt he was out of place john goodman was good i agree samuel jackson is samuel jackson jam is jam if you don't like Mm. jam then you don't like jam uh brie larson was fine Corey hawkins was good uh interesting because you know, I, I do see him as this really kind of harsh, tough man, and he was not that in this. It was, yeah, it was quite... very. I don't want to say against type because he yeah. used to say that um, the uh, Eric Carter character from Twenty Four is the type that he's going to yeah. go on to play because he's very early in his career. But I mean, I've seen him in um, Straight Out Compton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played Doctor Dre. Uh, he was in The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and his character just sort of wandered off mm-hmm. because. Uh, they they didn't kill him off. He just got lost, and we haven't seen him since. And that was half a season ago. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, and obviously I've seen him in Twenty Four, and and all of those are very different. Um, and again, he's different in this. And mm. I thought he was really good in Kong, in in that role. Um, Tony Cabell. Um, yeah, he plays monkeys. That's I mean. It, Started in rock and roller, um, but generally he's made a career out of playing monkeys. Well, wow. like motion capturing CGI monkeys, he's he's done it here, and he did it in the. Well, by the end of this summer, will have been three Planet of the Apes films. Ah, oh, do you know what? The only thing I could remember him from was the TV series The Escape Artist with uh, D- uh, David Tennant. But I just remember now. Of course, he was in Fantastic Four. Of course, yeah. Completely yeah, I've forgot. seen I've seen a lot more Toby Kebbell films than I thought because mm. I've seen The Monster Calls mm. which is very good mm. Fantastic Four which is not very good um, and yeah uh, obviously Rock and Roller and maybe the Rock and Roller sequel one day if that ever happens if, if not, not very likely because no. Guy Ritchie's off sort of ladding up the King Arthur um, <laughs> myth so uh, entertaining I think the thing I, th- I took away from this film was it, it certainly the first half hour is really really beautiful to look at yeah i think the thing is with with blockbuster sort of season now it starts 
it starts in March and it finishes in October without much of a break. Mm. Um, and most cinemas are about £10 at least. Um, and, y- you know, we're, we're lucky. We've got a, a cheap cinema near us, £4. So if we go on a Tuesday or Wednesday, although we have to put up with all the little fucking shites talking all the way through the... Uh, the, the screening and, and nearly have you get us in fights with people. Well, um, I, I can't tolerate it. I have <laughs> to do something about it. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you do go on a Tuesday or Wednesday, um, thanks to a um, certain insurance company's um, sort of cute um, rodent-themed deal. Um, are they rodents? I think they're rodents. Animals. Meerkat movies is what I'm... <laughs> Is what I'm getting at. Other um, uh, other cute insurance companies are available. But no but other anyway, film offers are available. No other film offers are available. No, they made sure of that. <laughs> um, the, my point is that we're quite lucky. If we go on that day, we can see a film for £2 each. So we don't have to be quite as selective of what we see. But my point is, and it's taken me a while to get here, I admit... <laughs> um, uh, my point is, it, in a day and age where blockbuster season is four months long and it's £10 a film, is Kong Island strong enough? Probably not. But is it a fun way to spend two hours? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I will agree with you there. But, I, I, but the, the overriding thing I took from it was, how beautiful does that look? Very well directed, yeah. Very well directed. I it also uses a lot of contemporary music as opposed to score. Mm. Um, it's got a fantastic soundtrack, but I remember you saying you thought it was a bit much. Yeah, I it, it was. I felt it was. It didn't feel like a like a selling too much. It wasn't like a make sure you buy the soundtrack after the mm. film. Here's all the songs. Well, just... no, because you can buy sort of you know it's not a modern soundtrack no. um, where songs have been recorded for the film they're all songs from from the 70s mm-hmm. um, and they're all sort of songs we associate with Vietnam films um, but I, I really like the soundtrack and I thought the use of it in the film was really good um, maybe not quite Matthew Vaughan good in terms of pairing s- songs as opposed to score with with scenes Yeah, but I, th- I thought it all worked really well. Um, although I do think the score was perhaps a bit lost in all that. Yeah, I'm totally forgettable. Yeah. Um, other points about this film I really liked. <clears throat> Love the uh, title sequence. The whole the whole visual look of the film was was beautiful. CG was very good. Mm. All the creatures that really great. Um, yeah, the reveal of of him was was soon. Didn't really bother me. No, but there was a few things in this that I think as a sort of, you know, seasoned cinema goer were a bit subversive and did surprise you. So, for example, how soon we saw Kong. Mm. Um, but also, um, and the, the, I mean, there's sp- going to be spoilers here, but um, Toby Kebbell's death as well. Mm. Um, I mean, it might just be, you know, being a film fan, I know Toby Kebbell quite well. But how little he was in the film and how quickly he got killed off surprised me. Did we even? You didn't even see him get killed off, did you? Well, it was that sort of like scream and cut away sort of thing. Yeah, but I felt but, it, it almost implied to me that he wasn't dead. 
And I it thought, did. And then later on in the film, you sort of got confirmation that he was. Yeah. Because a scream and a cutaway in a film normally means that they're going to turn up to save the day later on. Yeah. But actually, you got confirmation that no, he was in fact dead. Mm. Um, which you know there is little subversions like that in there, which I you know might have sort of caught me off guard while I was watching it. But in retrospect, were pretty cool. So let's talk about the monsterverse then, um, mm. because Kong was a, a universal property. Yeah. Moved to Warner Brothers in order to uh, pin it with Godzilla. Yeah. Well, it's I mean strictly speaking, it's legendary pictures. Um, who I think are they owned by Warner Brothers? I'm not sure of the relationship between Legendary and Warner Brothers. Name me a Warner Brothers film that you've seen, Hollywood Warner Brothers big film that you've seen that doesn't have the Legendary production at the beginning. It does seem like that they exclusively I don't think make the, everything. The DC universe is Legendary, is it? Uh, well, Dark Knight trilogy was. I don't know about the new. Hang on. So. Doing a little bit of research, it says Leg- Legendary moved Kong Skull Island from Universal to Warner Brothers. So, so they're an independent production company. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think in terms of the MonsterVerse, and I'm still not overly happy calling it that, but that seems to be what they're going with. MonsterVerse. I remember I've I've said on a previous um, previous episode that. I was concerned from the trailer for Kong that tonally it didn't fit with Godzilla at all. Um, And I think it's fine to start playing with the tones of your films when you're as deep into your universe as Marvel are, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, they can get away with putting out something... They can get away with putting out something like Civil War, which a few character beats like Spider-Man aside mm. is quite gritty quite dark and then they can and then release Guardians of the Galaxy which is you know really good fun space opera they can get away with that because yeah. they've been going for 10 years now um, but when you're on the second film in your universe you want to try and maintain an equal tone that early on mm-hmm. and so far this they're sort of sitting at two completely opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. So when these two franchises come together, someone is going to feel like they're in the wrong film. Yeah, it's not going to feel like two films coming together. It's going to feel like either Godzilla is in a film that's way too lighthearted, or Kong's in a film that's way too serious. That's my concern. Mm. You're probably right, but it's happening, mm. and it's happening in three years' time. Godzilla versus Kong. Just reading here that the uh, there there is an idea to do. Um, a prequel story about John C. Wiley's character, which I could not imagine to be anything other than just absolutely shite. Uh, yeah, I don't really see what story there is to tell there. Um, An oddball monster comedy with him and Gunpei. That just sounds terrible. No, yeah, it does. I mean, they they've sort of f- done that story, no. like like because it starts off when they're when they're young. Yeah. That's the beginning of the film. Yeah. And you kind of get all the history you need from the character's exposition within the film. That seems a a waste of a $30 million film to me. Mm. Well, Kong, Skull Island, 
Uh, I would say uh, if it's on telly late night on a Saturday night, that's a great film to stick on. But mm. I wouldn't necessarily say it was the one of the best. Definitely not one of the best films of the year so far. Mm. You agreed. Great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like you do like it more than I. I do. I think I probably do. Mm. Um, but you know, like I say, you, they, you you got to pick and choose your films, and. I would not this wouldn't be one that I'd say rush out and see but it would definitely be one that I'd say put on your radar to watch at some point that'll do that'll do pig <laughs> Geeks Talk Logan uh, obviously starring Hugh Jackman in the final performance uh, of him playing um, Wolverine Logan whatever you want to call it and, and now allegedly the final performance of Patrick Stewart playing uh, Xavier uh, also mm. featuring Boyd Holbrook, Stephen Merchant, Richard E. Grant, uh, and some other actors too. It's directed by James Mangold, who directed the previous Wolverine film, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'm right there. Yeah, yes, he directed he Wolverine. Yes. Also known uh, for 310 to Yuma, which is my favourite Western. And we, and we'll, we'll line, your favourite Western? Mm. Oh, it's good. Mm. But I mean, you know. I'm not a big Western fan, though, so... For the, for that to give me like gain my interest as much, I thought was a real yeah. achievement. So I think it's very good. But uh, Logan, um, yeah. So this is kind of the uh, the uh, the end, if you like, of the the current, in a way, the current story arc of X Men, possibly and maybe possibly setting up even more, like a post X Men, yeah, series of films. I, yeah, I I just take the X Men films one by one <laughs> these days. To be honest, they're, they're not yeah, a franchise to me. They're um, sort of a, a, a well, almost that they a can well. just a well that they can just pick stories out of and make these individual films. And I don't worry about the films that come before or the ones that are going to come after because if you do, you will just have like a brain meltdown, like Charles Xavier in this film because they make no fucking sense. Well, well, they do, don't they? No, oh, there's right. just zero continuity in the X Men films. Like, well, there is continuity, but none of it. It's not cohesive. Works. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, okay, but the story here is uh, Logan. Uh, it's kind of uh, like uh, the dad uh, and the son um, in their old age. Logan's become yeah, the carer of Xavier. Yeah, is like that, instead of putting him in the home, he yeah, puts him in a, in like, a tank. Like Charles's powers have become like he he's become too old and frail to sort of control them. Mm-hmm. Is the impression that I got, and he had he has these sort of psychic um, incidents that sort of kill anyone around him, um, and he had one at the X Men mansion when every single X Men apparently was at, was at home, mm-hmm. and not a single one was on a mission or at the shops. Or at the cinema, or off having a, a dinner, or any like every X Man was in the mansion, mm-hmm. and he killed them all, apart from Wolverine because Wolverine has obviously got this power regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, so as stupid as it is that he supposedly killed every single one of them for the sake of the film, we'll accept it. And Logan's the only one left, and they live in um, this little house in Mexico with. Well, it's not a house, is it? It's like a disused like factory. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Stephen Merchant, who's like this weird little albino helper man, 
Um, and he's basically just Steve Merchant from, yeah. from you know, off of being Steve Merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I actually thought he was really good in this film. I know you didn't like him quite as much. Well, funny enough, I just, um, you just made me think he's the John C. Riley of this. Yeah, you you don't like comedians being comedians in anything <laughs> that isn't an out and right comedy, do you? The pennies dropped. <laughs> but I don't think Steve Merchant. I think that's an unfair comparison because Steve Merchant does has some very touching scenes in this. Hmm. Um, but I get where you're coming from. Um, what is the story of Logan? So the story is so they're off and they live this isolated life, and then for uh, reasons I can't remember. Um, this the little girl becomes involved with Logan um, and he ends up basically having to look after her and get her from the uh, get her to the supposed paradise where mutants will be um, unharmed because there's these army men um, sort of that have been testing on the children that she comes from uh, trying to trying to capture them um, and, and it basically just continues like um, it's almost like a western I suppose um, and it opens with this um, really I'd say quite cool but quite violent, very violent scene I was going to say where Logan um, kills uh, sort of some gang members for no reason other than the film needs to show you that it's R rated Um because virtually every scene after that is is basically a normal Wolverine massacre with a bit more blood. Mm. Okay. Like, I I know what the director has said about an R rating allowing you to make a different tone of film. Yeah. But um, with all due respect. I believe Christopher Nolan would say that was utter bullshit mm. because he's done it and he's got the 12 rating the, or the PG-13 rating. There is no reason for this film to be R-rated, 15 rated, other than they can and Deadpool was successful. Like, I, 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 I just don't see what it added to the film. There's a lot of bad language... There's a lot of violence, and it yes, it does make it feel like a more grown-up film, but it could all be taken out, and I don't think it would really make any difference to the story and to what the film is doing. Okay, fair comment. I, I'm surprised you said that, but fine. One of the, one of the things I took from the film, uh, I thought it at the time, and everyone looked at me really strange, but I think there's a lot. Tonally, it reminds me a lot of Terminator Two. Oh, <clears throat> absolutely. And, but but even in its visual uh, style, in in some senses, like the the relationship between uh, Wolverine and the girl reminds me of Arnie and John Connor. There yeah. are scenes in the desert reminds me of when Sarah's loading up in the desert. With yeah, the well, I mean that, and, that um, and, the, and the fight sequence between Wolverine and Wolverine. Yeah, is a total Terminator fight sequence. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that outpost where they live at the beginning in in Mexico is is very similar to where Sarah goes. And meets up with, um, you know, that sort of militia that, that she's in contact with and gets all the guns. Mm. And, yeah, I think there's huge Terminator 2 influences in this film. Oddly, because you wouldn't 
you wouldn't expect that, would it, really? No. Well, I. But then, I, you know, I think James Mangold was very upfront about the sort of Western influences on the film, mm. but he didn't really speak about Terminator Two influences. But I, I can't believe that. What's well, a coincidence? That it's coincidence. Mm. Because Terminator 2 is such a, a, a well-known film. Interesting uh, point of view for me on this film is that I saw this with a large group of people, mm. uh, all of whom continued to review it days after the film. And although we really enjoyed it at the time, every day after the film, everyone I know that went to see it mm. found something new that they thought didn't make sense or they didn't like about it. And so the film deteriorated after viewing. Yeah, which I found interesting. I I would I would agree with that. I I think it definitely leaves you. It it ends with a big emotional wallop, um, and I think once that's worn off, you can start to perhaps pick it apart a little bit. Um, and there's cert- there's definitely things that don't make sense for me. Um, namely, the fact that um, the 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 young girl. I can't remember the character's name. Um, that she she is sort of this invincible um, uh, this invincible character who can uh, massacre hundreds of these soldiers at the beginning of the film, but then towards the end, when she, not only is she there, but loads of her um, the other children who have been mutated are there with her. They can't seem to fight off anyone. Mm. They just they just run away. Mm. Now, I I saw this with my girlfriend, and and I raised that point to her, and she said, "But the, they're children. They're they're scared. They're you know, that just because they're capable of fighting, doesn't mean their first instinct would be to fight. Mm. They're children. Their first instinct would be to run away. Mm. Um, and I kind of will will buy that as an excuse. Um." But yeah, it's just little things like that. I I still rate this. You know, it sounds like I didn't like this film. I did. I really like this film, and I definitely rate it as one of the certainly the best Wolverine film by by a long way. Um, ooh, ooh, I don't know. But I, li- I really like the last I, yeah, one. Yeah, I I like I did like the last one. Um, you didn't like the ending. I didn't like the ending. No. no. Um. I certainly rate it among. You know the the top X Men films, and that includes Deadpool, which I wasn't that fussed on. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just you know it's getting like it's five star reviews, and it's you know there's there's you know quotes like surpasses Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy as the best comic superhero movie, and you know. Seven out of tens all over the place, and eight out of tens, nine out of tens, and I'm just not sure. In a couple of years' time, this film is going to be held in quite such high regard. Once we've got a new Wolverine, once the sort of big emotional wallop of this being Hugh Jackman and um, Patrick Stewart's goodbye to the franchise is gone, once we're more used to violent R-rated superhero films, perhaps, I just wonder if this will sit in quite such high esteem then no it won't it definitely won't it's not that good it's certainly not <laughs> it's enjoyable at the time 
it it does feel quite well, it does feel very different to all the other X Men films mm. I've seen. I did really enjoy it. I do think certain characters don't really get their. I didn't feel the emotional impact of any of the emotional impact scenes. I thought I didn't feel it at all. I thought, in the context of the film, I thought Charles's death was was handled really well. Do you really think so? In the context of the film, as a goodbye to the franchise for that character, after fifteen years, I thought it was terrible. Mm. Okay. But yeah. but in the context of the film, the fact that he thinks it's Wolverine killing him, and that sort of moment. I thought was really really good, um, but actually, and, a... and I loved I loved that essentially Wolverine's death in the end was not about saving the world. It wasn't about some big grand thing. It was just about saving this young girl, and that he was willing to die for this for this young girl. I thought that was. Is there not an important point raised there though that to manufacture a death in or, in order to honor uh, the the franchise mm. um, is probably for the story that's being told, not important. So it's kind of ironic, really. I think what they've done is probably the smart thing, and yet it's it's no one seems to be happy with it, even though it's probably the correct way to have dealt with with the death. Well, I mean, so so you're saying when you kill off a long-standing character in a franchise, it should be. It it should be for the franchise, not for that particular film story necessarily. I'm saying I think that the general feeling would be that if if a character has been is that well established and that well loved, mm. to just callously get rid of them uh, is not very good. But from a from a story making point of view, uh, uh, you know, for for quality of a of a single story, what they've actually done is probably the right and the smart way to do it. But I'm not satisfied by it. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm a bit stuck in between somewhere. It yeah. should have been more, and yet any more would have been too glorified because it needed to be because there's seven, eight, nine films in front of it that that have to be recognised. When mm. really we're talking about a story, I mean, just this story right now. I think the the film that does this best that sort of kills off, you know, a long-standing cast member. Um, in a way that serves both the history of the franchise and the film is Wrath of Khan. I think that's the benchmark that any long-standing character death for me is measured by because that pays tribute to the character, mm-hmm. pays tribute to the relationships between the character and the other members of the crew, and it works in the film. It's a turning point in the film. It's a pivotal part of the film. Mm. Um and with in this, I thought it were it served fantastically as a turning point and a pivotal moment in the film, but as a as a goodbye to that character and a sort of retrospective of that character throughout the franchise, mm-hmm. I didn't think it worked at all. Mm. Whereas Wolverine's death, I think, did. I th- I think it, it it completely encapsulated that character that he essentially died for the, for these kids and so that they could go, go and live their lives and move on i thought that that worked really well that it wasn't some you know i think it would have been pretty hokey if in the end wolverine died saving the earth you know mm. i like that it was this understated story and and that that's that's how he died 
And essentially, I mean, he died of old age because it's only because of the point in his life that this happens that he doesn't that he dies mm. because he can't regenerate. Mm. If this has happened to him twenty years earlier, he wouldn't have died. Mm. So essentially, it is his old age that kills him. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I, uh, you know, you know, I have to say, I think when you're watching the film, I think it does what it aims to do really well. I think all the emotional beats land. I think they all hit pretty hard. Um, I didn't feel anything when he died, though. There's, I mean, I, anything. I mean, I didn't, but I mean, I did. But the thing is, you're going into it like. You know, deaths work better when you don't know they're coming, which I think is why, um, you know, why twenty four, for example, I think what that's why it always works so well in twenty four because you never see it coming. Mm. Um, the same can be said about things like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, and I know these are TV shows with ongoing stories, so it's a little bit different, but. Well, you, um, yeah, but this is not that far away when you think about it. this is a film with a very yeah. very long I mean, ongoing story Game of Thrones and and um, and Walking Dead essentially have one long story but 24 was a different story every season and the character deaths always serve the plot of that season hmm. they they were always relevant to the plot of that season do you know what I mean like yeah. that, that character always had to die for the story to continue yeah um, so yeah I I think if there was any lack of emotional impact in this film with Wolverine's death, it was because I knew it was coming, not because, um, it not because it doesn't do a good job. I, I don't know. I I. Eh. I don't know. I liked it at the time, and the more I think about it, I think, nah, I don't know. I don't know if it was that good. And also, I'm a little bit... At the time, all the publicity, all the hype was, yeah, like, this is me ending Logan. And then mm. Patrick Stewart got right on the back of that, going, do you know what? Me too. I'm ending my time with this franchise. And then mm. within two weeks, uh, after Hugh Jackman says, yeah, I'm going to be involved in casting the next Logan, fine. He then is quoted as saying... Um, when asked if the X-Men franchise would have uh, meet up, if it did end up meeting the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe, would you reprise the role? He said yes. Really? Yeah. And then when Patrick Stewart apparently is now going to reprise his role in one of the TV series or something, I thought... Really? Yeah. Yeah, so I was a bit disappointed to read that. But, I mean, yeah. you know, that's neither here nor there, really. The, the film should stand out on its own merit. And it is a very good film, very well made, good effects, good action sequences. You might not like the amount of violence in it. You might love the amount of violence Yeah, I mean, it. it's very violent. Yeah. Very. But I do think the more you think about it, the less it works. Yeah. Shame, but I but, think I agree with you. But the reviewers love it. They really love it. Yeah, but the thing with... These reviews is they're they're sort of instant takes, aren't they? A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Be nice to get some re-reviews, but it's done very well anyway. It's done very well, and uh, I I don't know I I don't know you might know more than I do about the Marvel um, X Men comics, but the characters at the end of Logan are they, are they anything to do with X Force or not? I don't know. Well, they could be. I don't know if I'm honest. So that could lead on to 
Yeah, but Back I mean, the next generation sort of. Yeah, but they you then get into setting your franchise quite far in the future. True, and also you're setting it. You, you you're setting it with uh, a, a kind of an origin story that's R-rated, which means that if you want to appeal to a younger demographic, mm. you've started backwards by putting yeah. in an R-rated I mean, film. If you thing is, if you want to take those kids forward to create a franchise that appeals to kids be, and have protagonists that are kids. Mm. Then you've got that ready made for you. You've got this group of mutants who are off on their own, and you could have a sort of young adult or, or sort of teen friendly franchise led by teens. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, like you say, um, the origin of where they all came from is incredibly fucking violent. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we'll see where it goes from there. But probably not the end of the X-Men oh definitely not I think the next one to come well Legion has just wrapped up on TV uh, which I haven't seen yet but is is had very very good reviews um, and I think cinematically the next one we're getting I think is a sequel to Apocalypse so another main cast Brian Singer film really I think I'm not I'm not really sure. Like I say, I tr- I sort of don't really keep track of the X Men universe because it's so complicated. I just see what comes out and and go watch it. Well, if you have seen Logan, let us know your thoughts on Twitter at uh, Geekstop Movies. Use the hashtag Geekstop Movies, and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you think. Geeks Talk Get Out, which is described on Wikipedia as a American comedy horror film now I didn't go in thinking that no that's wrong I it's agree. got one funny character in it yeah but I wouldn't call it a horror comedy definitely I, not I'm not I, I was going to ask you this do you think it's a horror film uh, I think it's I think some of it is quite horrific <laughs> yeah I mean I, I struggle for for a, a sort of genre to categorise it in, really, because I mean, I suppose it is a horror film, but it's almost more like an eerie film. Do you know what I mean? It's it's well, a thriller, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about atmosphere and and um, sort of the build up. This this film, it's um. And it's it's kind of like a mystery movie. It's mm. I'm uh, yeah, I'd struggle to call it an outright horror film. Well, it's definitely not a comedy. Well, there is comedy, but it's I mean, not a comedy. The um the the Rod Rod was it his friend? Uh, yeah, Rod. He's a very funny character. Yeah, and there, there's deliberate outright comedy in his character. Mm. Um, but I think. That's necessary because the rest of the film is so um, tense and so um, it like it's claustrophobic almost. Mm. I just can't. You know, I, I find it hard to explain, but it really, really had an effect on me. This film. It, it was so heavy, I guess, but not heavy in the sense that. 
it was a t- it was um you know really dense mm. topic it was heavy like it was sitting on top of you pinning you to your chair and you couldn't move and i think the the comedy was really necessary to to break that because i think two solid hours of that would have been just too much basic plot of the film couple white girl mm. black guy go out into the sticks to meet the girlfriend's parents. Well, it's not the sticks. It's like rich suburbia. Yeah. And and they're all a bit weirded out because he's black. That's that that that's the general plot of the film without really going into what it really is about. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right there? Yeah. I I, don't, I was I was told by a lot of people that this was a a film it was a very difficult film to watch and it's all about race and ra- racism and stuff and I, mm. I don't really get that from having watched it I I don't think it's it's a kind of no I mean the the I think the the reasoning in the end um I mean it's going to be difficult for us to talk about this film uh, without it being without spoilers and oh and also so, for the fact that if you want to talk about race and the fact we're two white men. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, you've <laughs> you've blown that wide open already. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's difficult to talk to talk about without spoilers. But when you when the reason is finally revealed for for why they are, are targeting, you know, African Americans specifically. Yeah, it's um. I think it's a really clever reasoning because it's one of those sort of white myths, I guess. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? The yeah. fact that they that they're they're transferring their um, brains, you know, they're they're f- from their frail, old, weak white bodies into what they perceive to be almost superhumanly athletic young African American bodies mm-hmm. and. It's almost like it, that's not really true, is it? On really, is that, that there's you know there's people of color that are obese, there's people of color that are skinny, there's people of color that are weak, and there's white people who are athletic and who are strong, and it's just sort of one of those white middle class myths, I think. And I thought that was really clever reasoning. Um, and and the fact that you, you when you find out why the um, African American characters who have supposedly been you think they've been brainwashed into being slaves, but mm. actually they've had the minds of the grandparents transplanted into them. Yeah, and that's why the male character is doing all these sort of like chopping wood and these classical sort of like and the gardening and these these sort of classical sort of manly tasks and the female character is doing like the laundry and stuff it's because they're the grandparents and they're doing these sort of household tasks like grandparents do you know yeah and and there's that clicks in at the end but you never even consider that early on your initial thought is that they're the they're the characters of colour and they're the ones doing the menial tasks. Mm. And and I, you know, I just think the stuff like that in the film is really clever. I think it does say things about race, but 
it says things that I think about white white perceptions. I think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about race, and I don't think it's necessarily about um, you know black people's place in society. It's about white perception. I've got to read you this quote I've just seen because this is right on the money with what you're saying, I think. This is from The Guardian. Um, an article from... Uh, forgive my pronunciation of this. Uh, Lana Bakari. Uh, who says, uh, The villains here aren't southern rednecks or neo-Nazi skinheads or the so-called alt-right. They're middle-class white liberals, the kind of people who read um, The Guardian. The kind of people who shop at Trader Joe's, donate to the ACLU, and would have voted for Obama a third time if they could. Good people, nice people, your parents probably. The thing Get Out does so well, and the thing that will rattle, uh, um, rankle with some viewers, is to show how, however unintentionally, these same people can make a life so hard and uncomfortable for black people. It exposes a liberal ignorance that has been allowed to fester it's an attitude and arrogance which in the film leads to a horrific final solution but in reality leads to a complacency that is just as dangerous what do you make of that yeah i totally agree i think that's what what the film is absolutely trying to say like like I say i think you um the the sort of first two brainwashed black characters we meet we assume we make the assumption that they're not doing those jobs because they want to be, mm. which is the truth, because they'd be doing those jobs if they were still the original, the people they originally were. Yeah, we assume they're doing those jobs because they're being forced to. Um, and the only reason we assume that is the color of their skin. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's just such a great film. And even if you take what it's saying about race out of the film it's still a very very well made film like like i've said the atmosphere and the tension and just the how uncomfortable the film makes you feel hmm. is just incredible um and there's you know there's great foreshadowing in it like the way the, the father um so the girlfriend's father at the beginning refers to um the lead uh sorry let me just chris that was his name wasn't mm -hmm. it chris yeah refers to chris as my man at the beginning yeah and you think he's trying to be you know he's he's trying to sort of use black culture slang mm. but at the end of the film you realize that actually he's calling him my man yeah you know like boy yeah you know he's he's saying that he's 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 racially abusing him essentially yeah um but you don't see it that way at the beginning you think he's being you, you just think he's being you think he's an idiot whereas actually he's completely in control and knows exactly what he's doing yeah um and uh and yeah and and the stuff with the photographer um who ultimately is going to be the one whose brain is is transplanted into chris mm -hmm. saying you know he has a fantastic eye for photography and yeah it's just I, I can't say enough good things about this film yeah i i you know th these films pop up and and you're over you're under halfway through the year and you see these films and you 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 think that could potentially be my film of the year but i don't want to start thinking about that just yet yeah. because it's too early on but 
you know, to completely contradict myself. <laughs> but this, <clears throat> it's it will certainly be in my top five at the end of the year. I I'd be <clears throat> I'd be surprised if it's not my favorite film of the year. Two things for me then, right? First of all, I feel really stupid now because I didn't realize that the dad in the film is Bradley Whitford from um, West Wing and Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Now, what I was going to mention, in fact, was I am not comfortable, I've never been comfortable with horror films that have comedy in them. A perfect example is I really, really dislike Drag Me to Hell. Didn't work for me at all. Oh, I love Drag Me to Hell. Did not like it so at what, all. What, did, what about Cabin in the Woods? That is the exception. Because it had... For some reason, it just worked because it was it was a film of two distinctive halves. Whereas Drag Me to Hell mm. was trying to put two genres together for me, and it just was yeah. battling what, what for about, screen time. What about Evil Dead Two then? Haven't seen it. Okay, but this I felt was because I feel like we've 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 analysed a lot of the, the the themes in the film, but we haven't actually. You've said, but I'm telling you that this is an exceptional film. Really enjoyed mm. it. What I thought was really clever about this was um, uh, you mentioned uh, the character Rod. So pretty much anything that doesn't involve Rod is is pretty much straight thriller, mostly horror straight. Yeah. And Rod's character is pretty much when you're on the other side of the screen, screaming at these horror films, going, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that?" Blah 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 blah. That Rod's character is you, and for, for yeah. the first time ever, him being funny and doing that has worked for me in what we will call a horror film. I think that worked mm. beautifully. It didn't get in the way. It didn't bring the rest of the film down. It just made sense. It really, really yeah. worked, and I, I was impressed because I thought when I started seeing that unfold, I thought oh, this is going to turn me off. There was a point in the film that I was worried it was going to go one way with Rod's character, mm. and at that point, I think the film would have lost me if it had. Mm. And that is when uh, Rose, the girlfriend, uh, hangs up on him uh when he's on the phone to her right she, he's trying to get information about where chris is and she's saying oh he got an uber from here three the uh, yesterday or or something and he's mm. saying well i haven't seen him and then he she hangs up on him at that point i thought he believed her and at that point the film would have lost me because it it would have gone into cliche horror where everyone in the film is just too fucking stupid to believe yeah but he then phoned her back straight away and was like, you're lying. I know you're lying. Tell me the truth. Where is he? Mm. And that is where the film could have lost me. But it's actually where it really grabbed me. Mm. And there I was just in. And everything, nothing in this film doesn't make sense. Nothing in this film is a stupid horror move. Even at the beginning, when a guy gets kidnapped in the pre-credits scene, he sees something shifty in the distance turns around and walks the other way he doesn't normally in horror films yeah. people put their head down and keep walking past now that's what you want to believe you'd do but you wouldn't mm. you see something dodgy you cross the road you turn the other way you take a different route Yeah, and that is what he does and it's just little things like that and all the way through Chris Chris doesn't feel like he stays there too long you know often in horror films that are about someone visiting someone doesn't end up being what they seem mm. and then they get captured and tortured and murdered mm -hmm. you kind of think well why didn't you leave when you first thought things were a bit dodgy whereas in this film it all makes sense and as soon as things start getting to the point where as an audience we're thinking 
yeah, we, you really should fuck off now. Yeah. He tries. He tries to leave. And, um, you know, he tries to leave earlier in the film. And his, his girlfriend talks him out of it in a way that you kind of believe. And it just, everything makes sense. There's no stupid, there's no stupid character moments at all. I think that the audience is well represented in the film. Because everything you're saying is, the film, the writing of the film has acknowledged the the silly flaws that are and tropes that have made horror films, horror films for yeah. years. And what's made this smart is that it's, it's acknowledged them. And... Instead of going against yeah. it, it's gone. With, it's basically listening to the audience going. If the audience is screaming at the the, the film screen, to say do this. The film does it. I mean, that's the thing. You you look at something like Scream, or to to more modern example, Cabin in the Woods. Those films say loud and clear in your face, isn't it stupid that the characters are doing this, mm. right? Mm. Whereas Get Out doesn't say, aren't these characters stupid for doing this, and Make make the characters self aware that they're being stupid. The character, this film just doesn't make those characters that stupid in the first place. Mm. So it's not got Chris saying, "Oh man, I should have left yesterday. Aren't I stupid for still being here?" Or, you know, I probably shouldn't go down there and investigate, but I'm going to anyway. Yeah. Like you know, like something like Cabin in the Woods or Scream. Not that I mind that they do it that way. But it's got Chris saying, yeah, no, this is fucked up. I'm getting out of it. As he should. As he should, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I think that's a really good approach to it. I think we've seen enough films that subvert horror in an obvious way now. I think we just need films that have learnt from those tropes and don't do those things. Um. It was bloody good, wasn't it? Interestingly, this is the second <laughs> horror film I've seen Bradley Whitford in where he gets gored to death. Oh, yeah. Because in Cabin in the Woods he gets gored to death as well, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, that, 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 that feels so stupid now. He just looks so different now. Mm. I think of him you know, wandering down corridors with big floppy hair. Not with a white beard. Well, I never saw West Wing. So. Did you not? No. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah, this is a terrific film. Uh, and more of this in the future. More more of this. If this is horror film, this is what I want to see more of. Yeah. I mean, I want to see more from Jordan Peele because this is his debut. And man, what a debut. Is it really? Good God. Well, well yeah, it's, it's his, it's his uh, directing debut. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's been around as a writer and he's been an actor for years. Um, but this is his directing debut. And his next film, um, or rumoured to be his next film, is the Akira remake. Really? Yeah. Good God. Which, you know, it'll be interesting to how interesting to see how such a um, racially aware director takes on something that could quite easily dissolve into studio whitewashing. Yeah. I think... I don't. I can't see him lasting on Akira because if his, um, you know, awareness of of racial issues um, are are as prevalent as as this film would make them seem, mm-hmm. I can't see him being a director who's comfortable with what the studio are surely going to want as a Western lead. Yeah, in Akira. Mm. Um, Could be interesting. Who knows? Who knows? So huge thumbs up then. 
Absolutely. absolutely. I, film of the year so far. I was going to say, definitely, for me, that's the best film I've seen in 2017. Uh, and uh, just out of shits and giggles, Rotten Tomatoes, 99% positive reviews. Who's the dickhead that didn't get <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, 99%. Someone's given it one rotten review. And who Who is that? Was it... Let's pull them up. Yeah. It's probably some obscure newspaper from the yeah, middle of nowhere. Probably. Was it... I don't know. White Man Weekly. <laughs> yeah. Was it Was it someone from the Trump administration? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, there are 12 pages here of positive reviews. Look at that. Consistently positive reviews. Where on earth is the bad one? I will f- oh, there it is. Thelma Adams of the New York Observer following... Nope, that's not the no. one. The one below it. Oh, Arnold, Armand White. White. Who would know? There we go. National re- National Front Review, more like. <laughs> Get Out is an a- attenuated comedy sketch in which serious concerns are debased. Oh. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, I thought it was good. Despite the wanker that was sat next to you. Oh, do you know... Yeah, one last comment about this film is that, like... No one smokes in films anymore. And it was really weird that smoking was such a big plot point in this film. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Good contribution. Smoking kills. Cool. Yeah. But not as much as white people do. Historically, no. No. Geeks talk Power Rangers, or... Saban's Power Rangers. Saban's Te- Power Rangers. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the uh, third Power Rangers film ever. Uh, this is a complete reboot of the whole franchise. It's been directed by Dean Israelite, who did Project Almanac. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Yeah. And uh, stars a whole new cast of uh, actors. Uh, the only two of which you actually know are Brian Cranston as Zordon and Elizabeth Banks as Rita Repulsa. I'm Bill Hader, I suppose, as Alpha 5. But this is basically, for anybody that knows the series, episode one as a film. Pretty much. Without anything else. Episode one. So, yeah. Interesting. I've been banging on about this ever since they announced it about two years ago. This whole production is pretty much inspired by that pretty harsh fan film, if you like, um, that uh, premiered online a couple of years ago. Um, and I suppose this is a another attempt at revitalising the franchise. Um, I mean, the first two films weren't particularly successful. Well, the second one, definitely not. It didn't even get released in the UK in cinemas. Um, Did it not? No, it didn't. It's straight to video. Um, but yeah, Power Rangers. So if you if you don't know what Power Rangers are, I'm slightly concerned because you know they've been around for 25 years, maybe more, maybe less. I can't remember now. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast called Geeks Talk Movies and you don't know who Power Rangers are, then I, I'm a little confused there. Upset. I'm, I'm upset. But yeah, the plot of the film is basically five teenagers who, in this incarnation, are not particularly that nice and are pretty fucked up, I suppose. Well, they've got attitude. They have got attitude this time. They're not teenagers with attitude that, you know had multicolored pencils and were very good at you know keeping in, in the margins and stuff. They mm-hmm. actually have attitude. 
Um, and they discover at a quarry uh, a bunch of um, crystals, essentially, that um, give them power. And then they discover a spaceship, and then they give, give them powers, and blah, 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 blah. You know the story. Um, what did I think of it? What did I think of it? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, I think there's there's definitely flaws with the film in the way the film is made, and and I'm I'm still a bit iffy on uh, on on a few aspects of it. But on the whole, uh, the teenage characters are really much more fleshed out than the original series ever was. Uh, they're far more relatable. They're far more realistic. The acting is fairly decent. Uh, there's some pretty impressive effects, and there's some pretty dodgy effects in it as well. Uh, Brian Cranston is perfect as Zordon, given that he was in the original series as a monster. So it's kind of a nice full circle for him. Um, and this is going to set up another five films. I mean, Power Rangers could go on and on and on. It's just whether there's an appetite for it or whether it really deserves it. I, I don't know. But Tom, what did you think, Power Rangers? I I really enjoyed it. Mm. Mm. Um, I I think Dean Israelite is a director who um pause that thought because I'm not putting up with that so yeah I think Dean Israelite is a um he's director who for me I think is able to handle um sort of three dimensional characters especially teenage characters with um a certain subtlety that that not all directors manage um and I mean you know, there's definitely an argument here that every every one of these five teenagers is given their sort of token um, issue, inverted commas. So um, we've got Jason who has sort of is rebelling against um, pressure from his dad to be a, a sort of pro football star. Um, we've got Kimberly who. Um, she, well, she's just a bit of an ass, isn't she? She's not really given. She's. You think she's being bullied, don't you? And then you find out later on in the film that actually she was bullying somebody, mm. um, which I thought was 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 quite interesting. Um, you've got Zach, who's looking. Uh, he's sort of the sole carer for his uh, sick mother. You've got Trini, who is struggling with her sexuality in a sort of middle-class family that are, are rejecting any idea that she's anything but straight. Um, and then you've got Billy, who is autistic. Um, and, yeah, you, you, there's definitely an argument that, that the they've all got these token issues, but I think because of the way they're handled in the film, I don't think it feels like that. I don't think it feels like, oh, so this this is the tick box for why this kid's an outcast and this is the tick box for why this kid's an outcast. I think it, um, you know, I think it works and I think it, it allows them to come together as this group um, who all need some sort of direction um, or some sort of release or some sort of outlet. Um, and, and I think being a Power Ranger gives them that um so yeah i i i think it felt like a really good teen movie a sort of john hughes type teen movie with some sci-fi in it mm. um it reminded me of things like um flight of the navigator and yeah um you know there's definitely i think parallels can be drawn with stranger things mm -hmm. um 
dare I say even <clears throat> you know even ET, which is the sort of the the sort of monolithical um, sort of teen sci-fi sort of film, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, there's definite Breakfast Club influences. It very much wears those on its sleeve, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really neat film. I I would say um, I, I know the source material really well, and I think. Um, I think they've been really smart with where they've decided to um, lay the story. The biggest changes are um, uh, Rita Repulsa's character now is it, it was the Green Ranger. There's a great sequence at the beginning of the film where you mm. see Brian Cranston as Red Ranger and Re- Rita as Green Ranger. And there's this backstory where she, uh, obsessed with power, turns evil, and um, she's the outcast of the Rangers, and then she's trying to get vengeance on them. And um, but I think that's quite clever because we all know everybody that knows Power Rangers knows that you know there is the evil Green Ranger that turns good. So they've set that up lovely now. That'll, that'll be a great sequel. There's even a reference to it later in the film. Um, so yeah, I mean, like from a business perspective, this could run and run and run if they if they make it really, really good and really interesting. There's plenty yeah. of good stories to tell here, and they've laid the foundations really nice. Um, and they've got rid of uh, got rid of a lot of the dead wood in the original series. Uh, all Rita's bad guys, um, although they do appear in the film in in the guise of action figures mm. in Billy's basement, which I thought was a nice touch. Uh, are all gone, with the exception of Goldar, who in this is the big bad of the film. But again, if you watch the original um, pilot episode of Power Rangers, he is the big bad in yeah. that. So this really is like a, like a modern interpretation of the pilot. Um, I love all the visuals, um, but I, I, I do like the suits, and I do like the dinosaurs, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I really do like them, but I, they were... Some things about them I'm not keen on. They've they've elected to not actually say for in the film that the Zords are representative of uh, dinosaurs on Earth because the Mastodon's got eight legs, and the reason for this is apparently because it can maneuver better. Mm. But well, in the film they say that the, the I mean the reason given for the what the Zords look like in the film is causes all manner of problems because um, Zordon says that the last time the Power Rangers when his group of Power Rangers visited Earth he essentially says that because in the in the TV show every time there's a new Zord it is physically a new vehicle right? Yeah. Well what Zordon says in this film is that the Zords uh, will always be the same they just take the form of whatever the most powerful creature on Earth at that time is Okay. That's what he says in this film, oh, right. and that's why they're dinosaurs, because they were the last time, and right. then the Rangers don't elect to change that; they keep them as dinosaurs. The issue arises in the fact that saber-toothed tigers and uh, mastodons did not really had not existed yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, all all the rest of the dinosaurs, you could argue, they've been around for so long. You know, you know they they've got access to <clears throat> species that have existed before yeah. that point. Because the beginning of the film, what the Power Rangers do and the battle they have is what draws the asteroid to Earth that wipes out the dinosaurs. Yeah. So 
we're, we're right up to that that point. So mm. we've got all the history of dinosaurs, but what hadn't happened by then was William Adams and uh, and Sabertooth Tiger. So that it kind of it kind of creates problems in in a sort of you know nerdy yeah. paleontology sort of way. But how but, much do we really care? But it creates something a lot easier for the future mm. in that they won't have to ever really give a reason for changing what the Zords look like mm. other than we want to change what the Zords look like. <clears throat> in order to sell more ties. Yeah. yeah. And, the, <clears throat> and it literally can just be a throwaway line on board of these dinosaurs. Let's do something else. Shake it up a bit. Yeah. Um, I'd say the, the the only disappointments I really have with the film were uh, I didn't think the actress who played Trini was uh, Trini now sorry not Trini anymore Trini uh, was very good I thought she was a bit weak um, whereas I, the I other actors her. I thought were really really strong it was the one that played Zach for me really um, yeah he was probably the weakest the guy that played Zach um, but I I think he was you know the weakest of a strong bunch. I think he was still pretty good in the role. I thought Naomi Scott, who played Kimberly, was so good. I mean, there were moments where I really felt like she was mm. channeling uh, Amy Jo Johnson from the original series. Yeah, I, based on the performances in this film and how the characters felt, I would have liked Kimberly to have been the leader. Mm. I don't think Jason felt like a strong enough character to be the leader. And I know the film did dwell on that slightly and I know there was sort of parallels with the fact that his father's putting pressure on him to lead uh, to putting pressure on him to be a football star and then Zordon's putting pressure on him to lead and that's yeah. supposed to be a parallel story but for me Kimberly felt like the leader of this group interesting and there's given the amount of other changes they've made I don't think anybody would have really had a problem with that no um, of course in this version you've mentioned that uh, Trini is uh, questioning her sexuality, and you have Billy is uh, autistic. Yeah, but actually, I I love the way they did Billy in this film. It was really mm. good. I thought it was really good. It's funny. I, I even liked the. Uh, oh no, I liked it all. I I really liked the way they developed the characters. It was re really really good. Given especially when you go back to how all this started, uh, you know, an American buys a, a Japanese TV show and decides to refilm the Japanese actor scenes hashing together whatever story they can think of. Mm. You know, I mean, what's nice is is we finally have a, a Power Rangers built from the ground up. Yeah. You know, for the first time. Because even today, the action scenes are still taken from the Japanese series, aren't they? With with greater cooperation um, between the two parties, but yes, they are. What, so the stories are now kind of the same? I think that there's just more negotiation for manoeuvre. Or, or, or they'll, they'll shoot f scenes especially for the American show while they're shooting for the Japanese and things like that. Well, trivia-wise, uh, trivia um, when Power Rangers first started, uh, so the, the, um, the Mighty Morphin series followed a Japanese series called Zyro Ranger, and when they run out of footage for Zyro Ranger and Power mm. Rangers just went batshit crazy in America they went back to Toei, the company that, that makes um, uh, Go Rangers as I think it's called, mm. and said can you shoot us some more stuff because we've <laughs> run out of stuff, so there's actually footage called Zayu 2 which has nothing to do with anything from the Japanese series because it was just shot for America so they just, actually just, just random shot, action yeah, scenes just fight scenes and monsters and stuff which is, uh, which is crazy do you want to take that call? nope is it someone important? No. 
<laughs> I know who it is, so I'm not going to say. It. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I think it was really good. I uh, really enjoyed it. It's far better than the reviews are giving it credit for. I think Power Rangers is never going to be a film that's going to be recognised as artistically um, clever or whatever. No, I think it's I mean, just going to get attacked left, right and centre. People that aren't into blockbusters, there's a lot in this film that you can point out and go, oh, well, that's why blockbusters are shit, that's why blockbusters are shit. But if geek culture isn't your bag, if blockbusters aren't your bag, fine. But, you know... This still exists, mm. no matter what you think of it. Um, I mean, I, you like what you like, yeah. And I think, as far as blockbusters go, I think this is quite a sweet, well-made, well-directed blockbuster. And I think, in a world where directors like Michael Bay exist, films like Transformers exist, you know, and just general shit films that are exploitive and are violent and are supposedly aimed at children but not appropriate for children. Mm. I think a film like this for the mass blockbuster market is really, really welcome and a real breath of fresh air. I just think it's a really nice film. Well put. Just to throw in a bit of geeky, really, I mean, we are called Geeks Talk Movies. Mm. I really, really need to get my geek on just for a minute. Uh, I already mentioned the fact that I spotted the Finster, Babu and Squat as action figures on the shelf uh, Zach at one point is using a pickaxe to uh, pick away at the um, the quarry and none of the, the rangers in this film version have their weapons except for Jason but in the original series Zach had an axe so that there's a reference there there are cameos from original cast members in the film one of which you spotted that I didn't two of which were obvious um Dialogue from the original series managed to make it in. We had an III from Alpha Five. We had a Make My Monster Grow from Rita. We had, you know, it's lovely nods to the original series there, which I loved. I tell you, what I didn't like though, which is probably the thing the series is most famous for, the inclusion of the original movie theme version of the Power Rangers theme tune did not work for me at all. No. If you remember the sequence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was nice to have it there. But it's, I, I wish it had been the TV show's theme. So either the TV one or an, or a new one. Yeah, like a like a reworked one. So because I mean that's such an iconic theme, right? That you know, playing fantasy director here, I would have got a current pop punk band to cover it, mm. like Ghostbusters. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can't fucking please people because <laughs> you put the actual original in. And people say, oh, it didn't feel quite right because that's a very out-of-date theme and this is a very modern film. You get, you cover it and people go, oh, why do you cover it? Where's oh, like the original theme? <laughs> oh, So you end up doing what Ghostbusters did and putting about 17 fucking versions of the <laughs> film, theme in the film because you're just trying to please everyone. Yeah. Um, so, who knows? But, yeah, I thought it was a really cool moment but that particular version of the theme was just about the worst one they could have possibly chosen. Plus, there was a beautiful um, new version done by Brian Tyler, like an orchestral version, which is on the soundtrack. That yeah. only ended up in the fucking credits, which would have been perfect for that bit. I, I, it was it was a bad decision in the edit. That's all I'd yeah. say. Apart from that, that was the only bit I was like, ah, you messed that up. 
Yeah. You, you know. And another thing with this film that I can't really explain why, but for some reason, I really wanted to go to Krispy Kreme afterwards. <laughs> I have no idea why. I just, it, I, I don't know. It's just something about it really made me want to go to Krispy Kreme. Well, well, yeah, who doesn't love a donut? We, well, I, I, on my on my walk home, I was looking for the Zeo Crystal. Funny enough, I walked right into it. <laughs> Literally right into it. I'm ex- uh, also like it was a really small town that they fought in at the end. Like it was just their little hometown of uh, what was it called? Yeah, Angel Grove. Angel Grove, which has always been a city previously. Yeah, it was a small town, and it got destroyed, yeah. completely flattened. Yeah. I mean, that's the town bankrupt, isn't it? <laughs> There's no coming back from that. Like it's one thing if you're a big city with like government buildings in and things, but yeah. this is a, that's, they're done. True. It's the end. Actually, that, the most important point I didn't bring up, which we should probably end with, is what, what I said to you straight after the film was when I was growing up with Power Rangers, I lived in the complete opposite kind of world that Power Rangers existed in. Power Rangers was proper Californian high school, beautiful sunny skies and lovely beaches and you know deserts and that kind of thing. I grew up in a valley town, smaller village, um, lots of forests and mountains and quarries. And that's where I used to play Power Rangers. And this film is set in that world. So mm. this, for me, was like seeing my interpretation of Power Rangers as a kid on screen, which, for me, that was why it was so good. Yeah. I love that. The luck of the film was really good. I was really pleased. Yeah, bring, bring on the next one. I think it'll be fun. And well done for not going so Michael Bay on it, because it could have been really, really bad. Yeah. In fact, I would say I prefer this to Michael Bay's Transformers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But so many people wouldn't, though. There's even a little nod to it as well, with oh, um, yeah. Bumblebee getting uh, trodden on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. So I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But, yeah. Yeah, Morphin Time so, indeed. That's Power, Power Rangers, better than Transformers. Yeah, that's, that's good for the poster. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to Geeks Talk Movies. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Geeks Talk Movies. And you can talk to us, use the hashtag Geeks Talk Movies. We're also on YouTube. Until the next episode from me and from Tom, goodbye. Goodbye.